please repeat. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Mangalam Guru Devaya Devye Matriksha Mangalam Mangalam Bhakta Brindebio Sarva Lokaya Mangalam Om Stapakaya Jadarmasya Sarva Dharma Sarupini Avatara Varishtaya Ramakrishna Yamangalam Om Sara Shiva Samarambam Shankarachara Majamam Ashmarachara Prayantam Vande Gurum Paramparam So we were joking the last many years actually that we've been reading Srimad Bhagavatam for maybe nine years, I don't know when we switched to Bhagavatam. And the Bhagavatam is the story of Krishna, but we have never, almost not mentioned Krishna. Because up to this point, the story, so many avatar stories are told, so much philosophy, so many conversations between sages and rishis and people. Uh, um, and so, uh, uh, and Krishna is mentioned, but never much Lila is told. At the very beginning, there's a little bit of some Hastinapur Lila. After the battle of Kurukshetra, a few things are mentioned of him coming home to Dwarka, but only a few verses, really, nothing compared to the thousands of verses we've recited. But <clears throat> we're just finishing, finally, the, the ninth skanda. We're in the last few sentences of the ninth, the ninth skanda, the ninth book, and Krishna Lila proper starts in the tenth skanda. Tenth and eleventh are uh, uh, deal almost exclusively with the story of Krishna. Uh, the tenth is primarily the story of Krishna, and the eleventh is primarily, there's other things also, but the teachings of Krishna, especially taught to his nephew Uddhava, right, it's called the Uddhava Gita. And Uddhava Gita is really the, everything you need to know about everything is in Uddhava Gita, right, about Dharma, about our duties, about puja, about philosophy, about yantras and tantras and yogas and mudras, and everything is, can, uh, uh, so much teaching is given. Um, very important text. <coughs> so uh, at the very ending, the, we in the past we've mentioned that the pr- Purana to be a Purana has to have certain qualifications, certain characteristics. One of which is lineages of kings, right? And so, as the lineages of kings have been recited or explained, you know we get to a particular king that's important, and he had. You know, we get to Lord Ram, or we get to uh, Bali. Uh, 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 like this, and then a lar- lots of nice stories are told. Uh, but the last uh, few uh, sections, it's mostly just uh, you quickly went through the lunar, di- the solar dynasty, and now they're going quickly through the lunar dynasty. Because in the solar dynasty, the the main character, most important, although not told very elaborately, is Lord Ram, his Ramlila, and then now quickly going through the. Lunar dynasty to, to to get the most important character in the, from the position of the Bhagavatam is Krishna's life, with the Yad, um, descendant of Yadu. And so the very ending uh, of this, it mentioned then it mentions uh, Vasudev, right? Uh, and so he and Vasudev had a uh, so, certain amount of wives. Each one of these different wives had a certain amount of children. And of course, you may remember that Vasudev had many, several wives, according to the story. But the most important for our story is Devaki, right? And so, uh, and that's we'll start probably in the next section, the, the birth of Krishna through Devaki. 
but Vasudeva. So here it just mentions very quickly in just a few sentences why Krishna is born or manifest his avatar. Right? And then it quickly in a few lines, I translated the, a few, three, four, four or five verses about the purpose of the incarnation of the avatar, why Krishna is born. And then the part I didn't translate is a few verses that describe it just in a brush stroke like only ancient rishis can do the main points of Krishna's life. He does this, 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 and this. In a few lines, right? Uh, um, and then the next, then it will start, then the questions will go, you mentioned, who is this Krishna? How is he born? How is he born? How is he, uh, how did he come to lift Gorbadan Hill? How is he, what was his relationship with the gopi? The questions got getting asked, and then the, the details of the story get unfolded. So the section here, I just mentioned why he's incarnated. Right. And so today is also an auspicious day. Today is the birthday of Swami's, I think the 160th birthday perhaps, if I remember, of Swami Shardananda, uh, whose picture is here. Swami Shardananda was one of the great disciples of Sri Ramakrishna. And um, he also took responsibility for serving Holy Mother after Sri Ramakrishna's passing. After Sri Ramakrishna's passing, all the, the disciples were off doing austerities. And Holy Mother went back to the to to Sri Ramakrishna's village, and there she wasn't treated very well, right? Uh, 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 and then she went back to her own home village, but there was no real money for her, nobody to take care of her. So she went through. She did also a year of pilgrimage, I think, but she was in a lot of uh, heartbreak after losing Sri Ramakrishna, physical body of Sri Ramakrishna. But then another type of difficulty of uh, almost starving, right? But Sri Ramakrishna said, "Never, never extend your hand for help." never asked for money, right? So she followed that, right? So she was actually quite suffering. And then they began to realize that nobody's taking care of Holy Mother, right? That's a very serious condition, right? So several disciples took their responsibility of taking care of Holy Mother. Sorry. Um, um, sorry. <coughs> uh, but Sharananda was primary, took his responsibility. He took almost full responsibility for years. And one of the things he did, he, he, he raised money to build a house for her because she was living in her ancestral home, but that was a functioning house with other family members there. And so he had, he built just almost across, like between here and Don's place, across the way where the horse is, they built another, they bought a plot adjacent and build a house so she could have her own privacy and meet her own disciples and devotees as Ramakrishna. And so she spent part of her time there in her home village, in the house that he built, and, the, and part of the time in Calcutta, where he established an ashram in, called the Udbadan, where he started a magazine, based on some of you kind of his instruction to start magazines in English and in Bengali. So that's, been, I think Udbadan is a Bengali journal, philosophical journal of Ramakrishna mission. And what he began to do, many stories of Sri Ramakrishna were coming, right? And many fantastical stories. Right, because people, nobody's done actually clear research at that time. People were telling stories. Oh, we heard that this happened, and we heard this happened, and he was a virgin birth, and he walked on water, and you know, it's like whatever the stories get told, right? And so, while people were still living, who knew, who saw his, I mean, many things he saw as a direct disciple, many things he heard Sri Ramakrishna say about his life, but also many things that uh, other people who witnessed Sri Ramakrishna's early life and sadhanas were still living at the time. So he began to interview, he began to write a book, a huge book, called uh, Sri Sri Ramakrishna Leela Prashang. Uh, uh, but he came out in as magazine articles, right, uh, on the monthly, so uh, chapters of a magazine, and in order to sell magazines. And the purpose of selling magazines, 
two purposes. One is, of course, to correct and let people have a proper understanding of Sri Ramakrishna Lila, but more importantly, to raise money so he could continue to serve and, and Holy Mother's needs, her physical needs, her home, food, travel expenses, like that. So when Holy Mother uh, expired, he gave up. Yes, yes, as Holy Mother expired, he, um, um, he stopped writing. And so that's why the book is actually never properly finished. It ends, uh, the last uh, uh, entry is uh, um, the last year, the last, last few months of Sri Ramakrishna's life was in uh, New Year's Day. There's a dramatic event called what we call the Kalpaturu, the day. Sri Ramakrishna manifested as a wish-fulfilling tree, uh, so the devotees believe. Um, he wrote that section and then he stopped. He never think at that point Holy Mother expired. And so he stopped writing. And also, he didn't want to meditate upon the deaths of, of Sri Ramakrishna. So he never wrote that part. But <clears throat> the fascinating thing we have, like in the Bhagavatam and in the Puranas, we have we have the Puranas are complicated and they're full of. They're written from a, a, a stance of extreme devotion, about things that happened thousands of years ago, right? Ancient mythology, right? Stories that have been passed down and stories in a way told in a way to elicit somebody's devotion and faith and. The person being glorified, right? So, uh, uh, so we have the stories of Krishna. We have the stories of Ram. We have stories of Buddha and Jesus in a similar way. Later, right? <coughs> stories of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But uh, the devotees of Sri Ramakrishna and uh, uh, believe that Sri Ramakrishna was also one such personality. He's an avatar like Krishna was, like Ram was to the devotees. Who was devotees? They saw him this way, and so. In his auto, in his biography that that um, Swami Sharananda wrote, he he explains many interesting things about the avatar. And we're going to jump, we're going to read the Bhagavatam is going to go full into these these incredible spiritual purposes of the avatar's advent, right? But um, he explains in a slightly different way, because he's both somebody who has extreme faith in Sri Ramakrishna as an, av an avatar, right? He who is Ram, he who is Krishna, is now is Ramakrishna. Thakur said. Right, he has full faith, like that, but he's also an extremely rational person, right? Very educated, right? Western educated, right? So and and uh, uh, and so you can't just these outrageous uh, faith statements that people make, uh, almost illogical faith statements. How do you reconcile that with with uh, clear logic of of just honest thinking, you know, intellectual honesty, right? And, mo and modern rationality, right? And then the other thing is like he, we were talking about this the other day, thinking about uh, Sharananda's view, because Christmas just was here, right? So we're meditating on the tradition of the view of Jesus as an avatar and how that came down. And Swami Sharananda said, in my youth, I didn't believe any of this stuff. We'd read, my grandparents would read from the Puranas about Krishna and about Rama, right? And we believed actually that Rama, that, that that these are all just fictitious stories by innocent people in order to uh, entertain or placate the ignorant masses, right? And then we met Sri Ramakrishna, right? And you realize that no, that that it was true with him, that it maybe it was true with the with the with the ancient avatars too, right? We've seen these incredible things with our own eyes. We heard about them from our own ears, people who saw these things. We ourselves witnessed these miracles, these things about his birth and advent and behavior and consciousness and knowledge and omniscience and omnipotence. So maybe these stories about, told about in a more ancient way, told in a more 
uh, different style about Buddha and about Jesus and about Krishna and Rama, maybe they're true too. Because true of him, it's true of them. And he turned it around also, because he also saw many things that are told about the avatars, about Ram and Krishna and Buddha and Jesus. Their, um, we, we, their story comes down to us, they're, perf they're born perfect. They're born illumined. They don't have to do anything without sin. Right? But yet we see with Sri Ramakrishna, he seemed to be born, in not in ignorance exactly, right? but he struggled to know God. Right? Seemingly not conscious of his own mission. Right, and through so struggle, so it's like, and and and, but so if this is true of the of of this avatar who we know, maybe it's also true of those avatars. In one section in, in this book somewhere, I couldn't find it. I just quickly glanced at it earlier, to, just now before tea, where he says that uh, 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 Jesus, we have some hints. We know he meditated forty days of austerities in the for in the uh, in the uh, desert. The story comes down, right, and that he was tempted by Satan. The three attempted, you know, you know, the, and his responses like that. He was able to overcome. That's some evidence of his own struggle to attain or to regain his 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 uh, realization for his mission, right? Buddha, we also know he struggled so much and he did so many. He meditated many years on the Buddha, but we don't have such stories of Krishna. We don't have such stories of Rama, right? He says, but maybe those stories also happened. We have to be careful because that's not, we, we, we meditate on their stories as they've been presented, right? But he says, if it happened with Krishna and Buddha and Sri Ramakrishna, it probably also happened with them. But at the time these stories get told, it's not, they're not told that way. And the old way of telling Puranas are not told. We call it the hagiography. When you write about a saint, you make everything rosy, perfect, no conflict, no struggle. Right, they always smell good. They're never grumpy. Right, <laughs> never have any struggle, and everybody likes each, and everybody likes them. But that's probably not really the case, right? But as a st so, um, now we're not going to superimpose that interpretation on Krishna, right? Krishna is being presented differently. But this is this book in the, in the Bhagavatam. Krishna is presented. He's a supreme. The, this is a sectarian book, in the sense that it's 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 about the worship of Krishna and devotion to Krishna. He's a deity of this text. The Puranas are sectarian. Not in the negative use of the word, it's limiting. Because you see in every, every line, the, uh, Shiva, Krishna is described as Bhagavan, right? But the same, but Shiva is also described as Bhagavan. Brahma is described as Bhagavan, right? Yeah. Even Daksha is described as Bhagavan, right? These terms are there, and you get, you get all different types of philosophy, all different schools of thought are presented and integrated. But the point is, it's for a community of, worshiping, of uh, worshippers of Vishnu, especially Krishna. And that's the point of this particular text. <clears throat> so I wanted to read before we jump the verses are only a few verses from the Bhagavatam because it's Swami Sharananda's uh, Jayanti day and the topic is the avatar Swami Sharananda gives a very interesting introduction which I'll read it's a few pages, I may skip a few sections um, where he ends he's setting it up for the answer to, to write about the incarnation of Sri Ramakrishna right? but it's true, he, he, he views the history and development of the idea of the avatar. Because he's both a believer in the avatar, and, and, and we would say a companion of the avatar, right? But he's also a modern scholar of his time, modern for his time, right? So he's looking back, how did the idea start in the Puranic ages, and the Sankhya idea came and, and developed, and the Rishi idea, got people began to idealize their Rishis, and, and certain Rishis were considered avatars, and devotional traditions came, and and then the guru tradition became, you know, so he sees the development of it. So he both is a practitioner and a believer of it, but can also see the, uh, the development of it from his perspective, which is a very, I think, a very modern 
uh, approach, to, not just to, 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 to observe how these ideas come without any, uh, without any faith, or just having so much faith that it would be blasphemous to even consider that, that the idea of like, that, like the idea of an avatar uh, is only a few, a few thousand years old. Right, you know, it's like, oh, that's possible because Krishna came five thousand years ago, and and before Ram came, a million, one million, seven fifty thousand years ago, right? And he he was an avatar, but the idea that the idea of avatar wasn't developed in, in, in the development of thoughts and schools of thoughts. So it's interesting to hear, see his a little bit his approach. So I read a little bit. <clears throat> Significant differences. I'm reading from on page sixty nine of Sri Ramakrishna Lila Prashanga. Translated as Sri Ramakrishna's Divine Play by Swami Chaitananda. Significant differences exist between the spiritual ideals and religious beliefs of India and those of other countries. From time immemorial, it has been apparent that India has truly and firmly committed itself to achieving the experience of transcendental realities such as God, the Atman, and the hereafter, and has concluded that the direct experience of these realities is the ultimate goal of both the individual and the collective national life. As a result, much of India's efforts and activities throughout the ages have been infused with an intense spirituality. When one attempts to trace the reason for India's acquisition of such intense passion for transcendental reality, one finds that the only cause is the repeated appearance of illumined souls in India. To observing and studying those mystics' visions and supernatural powers, the Indian people have developed a firm faith and deep interest in spiritual matters. Thus, from ancient times, India's national life has been firmly based on spirituality, and this has created a unique society with social customs aimed at the direct realization of the truth. India's social rules and customs were formulated so that the nation and its inhabitants could gradually make progress by performing their daily duties in accordance with their temperaments and finally attain spirituality or God realization. Because the Indian people have followed those social rules from one generation to the next, the spiritual values of India have remained alive. Even today, the Indian people strongly believe that each individual can experience God and attain union with Him by practicing austerities, self-control, and, inte- and intense spiritual longing. We can easily deduce that India's religion is based on direct experience of God. When we evaluate the meaning of the words such as Rishi, seer of truth, Apta, a realized soul, Adhikara, Adhikari, a teacher with authority, Pakriti Lina Purusha, a free soul absorbed in Pakriti, and so on. Then it's going to go a little bit into some history. But the point is that why we always say, oh, India is something special about India. You know, we seem to hold, and obviously we dedicate our lives to Indian forms of religion and culture and practice. What's special? I mean, religion is everywhere. Nowhere is, but something seems to be special. Why? He's claiming is because great souls are born have been there, great saints. And then he further says that not just great souls and rishis, certain rishis are not just regular rishis. Certain rishis are developed into this idea of avatar, these great souls. I'm going to switch, skip some because we're already a little late. Let's skip a few paragraphs here. 
It has been said that belief in the avatar spread widely during the Puranic age. And this is the age when the Bhagavatam and uh, the Padma Purana, the Puranas were written, composed. The Puranic age. Although there were many obstacles to development of spirituality, the greatness of that age is that the glory of the avatar became avatars became manifest. By adopting faith in the avatar, people developed the capacity to understand the eternal play of Sagun Brahman. This is Brahman was qualities. Consequently, they realized that God, the cause of the universe, was their only guide in the spiritual world. And they became convinced that the infinite compassion of the Lord would not allow them to be eternally doomed. Rather, he would incarnate in every age, discover a new spiritual path suitable to human nature, and make God realization easier. It would not be out of place to mention the gist of the Smriti and Purana scriptures regarding the divine birth and activities of the Avatar, who are endowed with limitless, illimitable virtues. These scriptures say that an Avatar, like God, is by nature eternally pure, illumined and free. Unlike a jiva or individual, an avatar is never entangled by his actions. Actually, these, this whole summary of this is going to be said in one verse in the Bhagavatam, momentarily. From his very birth, the avatar is self-contented. He does not pursue worldly enjoyments as do self-motivated souls. The life of an avatar is solely dedicated to doing good for others. Being always free from the meshes of maya, the avatar never forgets his previous births. It may be asked... Does that unbroken memory exist in an avatar from his very childhood? The authors of the Puranas reply, Although it is always latent within the avatar, it does not always manifest itself in childhood. However, as an avatar's body-mind organism becomes mature, his memory awakens with little or no effort. This is to be understood regarding every one of the avatar's actions. Since an avatar assumes a human body, he behaves in all respects like a human being. As soon as the body and mind are completely developed, an avatar becomes fully aware of the goal in his present life. The avatar then realizes that the purpose of his birth is to reestablish religion. Again, whenever, whatever is necessary to fulfill that goal comes spontaneously to the avatar. The path that is boldly, sorry, the path that is perpetually dark to ordinary souls is luminous to the avatar. The avatar boldly advances and after reaching a goal inspires people to follow. Thus the avatar discovers new paths to the realization of Brahman or God, again and again in every age. The authors of the Puranas not only noted the attributes, actions, and nature of the avatar, but they also clearly ascertained the exact time of his advent. They said that the eternal universal religion declines with the passage of time. Infatuated by the inscrutable power of Maya, people lead lives in the belief that this world and its mundane enjoyments are their all in all. And they consider the Atman, God, liberation, other eternal transcendental realities to be a poet's fancy, an illusory dream. They achieve wealth and worldly pleasures one way or another, but still cannot satisfy their heart's desire. Carried away by a dark, endless, terrible current of despair, they cry out in agony and seek deliverance. Under such circumstances, the all-powerful God makes the eternal religious religion luminous, like the moon when it has emerged from an eclipse. Out of compassion for human weakness, he takes a human form again and again, and puts humanity on the spiritual path. As, this cannot be, as there cannot be an effect without a cause, so God in his leela, or divine play, never assumes a human body without the purpose of removing the suffering of humanity. When such suffering affects every part of society, God's infinite mercy crystallizes 
and induces him to appear as a world teacher. The authors of the Puranas came to this conclusion upon observing the repeated appearance of divine incarnations or avatars. Now he brings it to Sri Ramakrishna. It followed there, therefore that the omniscient avatar, who is a world teacher and discoverer of a new religious path, appears in order to fulfill the need of the age. India, a land of spirituality, has been sanctified by the footprints of avatars many times throughout the ages. Even now, when the need arises, avatars endowed with illimitable, illimitable virtues are born in India. It is well known that a little over 400 years ago, Bhagavan Sri Chaitanya overwhelmed the people, aroused in their passion for God by chanting the name of Hari. Has such a time recurred? To satisfy the need of the present age, has God's overwhelming compassion compelled him to again incarnate in India, a country that is viewed as poor, inglorious, and contemptible by, foreign, by many foreigners? This has actually happened, as will be understood by studying the life story of an exemplary, virtuous, and great soul that has been recorded in this book. Once again, India has been blessed to witness the advent of the Supreme One to fulfill the needs of the age. He who was born long ago as Ramachandra and as Krishna has come again to reestablish the eternal religion. Let's find out a little bit about this Krishna so mentioned. Not I know. So where are we here? Now we're reading from, picking up, uh, uh, Skanda 9, chapter 24, the last chapter in the Skanda 9. And starting verse 50, I'll, I'll read a few verses and then we'll start on verse 56 in my translation. Hmm. He says, as the eighth son of Vasudeva and Devaki, the Supreme Hari himself appeared as a perfect incarnation, Sri Krishna. Your grandmother Subhadra also was born of them. Actually, as a son of Vasudeva, so we start this uh, class and every every reading from the Bhagavatam is the mantra Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Vasudeva is means the son of Vasudeva. We've talked about this many times. It's good to remember. And Vasudeva also means, I mean, son of Vasudeva means Krishna. It's a name for Krishna, right? But Vasudeva also Vasu means infinite, all pervading, spread out, right? So Vasudeva is the divine uh, consciousness. The all-pervading divine consciousness, that supreme Brahman is Vasudeva. But that also Vasudeva is the son of Vasudeva, the incarnate, the, the one incarnate. They're not different. And so it says that the 18,000 verses of the Srimad Bhagavatam is a commentary on this one mantra. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So it starts by mentioning Vasudeva, one of Vasudeva's son was a perfect avatar. And then it describes in the Gita, we know there's one verse, right? The famous verse that... Uh, uh, when when does uh, Krishna incarnate? Krishna himself states, right? Yada yada hi dharmasya, glanid bhavati bharata. Right, and, er, and, and whenever uh, again and again, when it, when dharma declines and adharma uh, increases, then I embody myself. Right, that's a famous statement. Right, and then he says, uh, uh, so this is almost identical. The first few set words are identical to that. Right. So, yada yada hi dharmasya, whenever, whenever, yada yada, again and again, whenever, whenever the need is there, 
ही धर्मस्य Kshayo, uh, here the word kshayo. Kshayo is akshara, means unending. Kshaya means ending. So when dharma ends, right? So like we have akshay tritya, the unending day, right? So this is kshaya. So when dharma ends, uh, uh, then it says vridhis cha papmanaha, papmanaha. And... Uh, Vridhi means increasing, papa, and sin increases. When when religion ends or decreases, and when sinfulness or sinful thinking, sinful action increases, right? Tada tu Bhagavan Isha. Tada means tada, almost like that. Tada means at that time, then, right? Now, right? What what happens? Tu Bhagavan Isha Atmanam. Sriyate Harihi. Then Bhagavan, that supreme, that's Bhagavan, that Lord, Isha, the controller of everything, the ruler, right? Who's known as Hari, that Lord Hari. Atmanam Shrijate. Shrijate means incarnates or manifests or descends or becomes or is revealed, has all these meanings. Right? Descends, appears, manifests. All meanings are there. And so there's many views of what the avatar is. Some say he descends, some say he is born, something he manifests. He appears. It, just, it doesn't uh, take one view over the other here. Atmanam, his own self, and so so he manifests. His, so it's not it's, uh, uh, that supreme. Here it's a big claim. It's not like a great soul attaining perfection. It's like the 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 Lord of everything himself comes, right? When the need is very great, and the need is here defined as. In the Gita, as a when a religion uh, comes up and religion goes down, here when dharma is destroyed and sinfulness increases, right? I am born. Yada yada hi dharmasya kshayo vridhischa pa pa tadatu bhagavan isha atmanam srijate harihi. So, if he's born, we're also born. Many great souls are born. Some not so great souls are also born, right? So, what is the what is the cause of birth? Usually, the cause of birth, actually, not usually, the cause of birth is the cause of birth is, is double. One is desire, right? Unfulfilled desire that that leads to rebirth and karma, right? Unfulfilled responses to our previous actions. Right, so these two things usually are what, what leads to human any birth is karma and desire, right? And the type of body we have also is a result of what we want and what we deserve, right? What we need, right? This body is our is is our karma. Our karma is our previous actions manifesting. And here we are, right? And uh, uh, so our previous karmas have led good bad good karma or bad karma have led to our body, right? And led to our life or the details of our life. What we do with them is we have some minimum free choice of what we do. But it's a cause of that of our past karma and also our desire. We have uh, Holy Mother said that you'll be reborn if you want a cookie or a piece of chocolate. Any desire creates a new birth, right? This is why I'm trying to eat as many cookies now, <laughs> get it out of my system. <laughs> it hasn't worked so far. <laughs> my desire for cookies has not gone away, uh, especially at Christmas time. It's reawakened yet again. Um, but uh, 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 and Krishna says later. In the Gita, that what everyone what everyone desires, especially at the time of death, 
right? They're your what the desire, that whatever you think about, whatever you want at the time of death is what you attain. Those who want me come to me. Those who think of me come to me. Those who think of ghosts become ghosts. Those who think of the answers become ancestors, like this, right? So, uh, but our our overwhelming thought, our overwhelming desire. Uh, this is this whole story. These eighteen thousand verses being told to a dying man. We have to remember this to uh, Parikshit, Parikshit, who is who is cursed to die in seven days, right? And so the the speaker. Uh, Sukha is speaking very carefully these things, right? That the purpose, uh, 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 he has to make sure that he, because he asks, I want somebody who can talk to me about God for seven days and seven nights. That when I die, I know I, my mind's only on him, I only want him, right? And I'm uh, attain that, that transcendental abode, transcendental goal. Uh, so you're, most people are born, the reason we're reborn, right, is due to our karmas and to our desires, right? So, if Krishna is born, it must be due to his past karma, or due to his unfulfilled desires, right? But that's not the view of uh, the general view of the avatar, and that's what. Remember, in in um, in the reading we did just did from Swami Sharananda, he says the only purpose of an avatar is to do good, right? Out of his own nature, to do trying to do good to the world. If there's a desire, it's only a compassionate desire to do good. It's not a selfish desire, right? And what's the karma, right? There's a karma. God has no karma past karma, right? So it's not that we can't... So here it says, actually in this verse, it says, Atmanam, shira, Atmanam Srijate. Um, uh, Atmanam means by his own self, right? his own nature. In Gita it says, embracing my own maya, I descend. Not due to maya. I embrace my own maya and descend. Right? So it's, it's a self... Uh, uh, it's not due to the limitations of regular jivas. That's not what's the claim, right? So what is the claim? He says, Na yasya janmano hetuhu. Not, na, no, he, or hya means without any, or indeed, asya, for him, asya means Krishna. Janmana hetuhu. Janmana means to be born. Hetu means cause. There is no cause for his birth. There's no karmic cause for God's incarnation. Va, either. Mahipate, uh, O king. Atma, what is it? Atma mayam vineshasya parasya drushtu atmanaha. There is no cause for his birth except his own maya. Not we're our cause, we're we're born by somebody else's Maya, right? His own Maya here does not mean his own illusion. Here Maya in the in the ancient dictionaries, Maya means illusion, Maya means manifestation, Maya means energy, Maya means desire, Maya means compassion. It has all these meanings in the the dictionaries of the time. The way the words now we have, it's been more specified how we tend to use it. So here the the term is being by his own energy, by or here in, in the, the the devotional text this is called Yoga Maya. Right, it's like we there's uh, yoga maya is a lord like uh, lord does things by his own yoga maya his own energy, right? It's not right, by his illusion by his own power. It's his own power. We're deluded by his power, but he's it's his own power. He's we can be blinded by somebody shining a light in your eyes, but I'm not blinded with it because it's my light, right? So it's like that's his maya, not it's a different thing. And by compassion, by maya meaning compassion here, 
secondary meaning of maya and the uh, commentator said this is what this must mean by his own by his own nature by his own desire by his own compassion he acts he's not born due to karma by any cause except his own maya what is that why because he is ish ishasya he's the supreme controller what could be he can only do things out of his own nature Right, nobody can do. He, there's no controller over him. He's ishasya. He's paramsya. He's parasya. Means he's completely untouched, transcendental, supreme, beyond everything. Right, beyond karma. He's drashtuhu. He's the he's the he's the witness of everything. He's atmana. He's a witness of. He's the soul of everything. He's the self. Right, what karma can be in him? If there's anything he's doing, only out of his own uh, love, out of his own compassionate, his own compassion. Right, so in that verse in Bhagavad Gita where it says when religion declines and irreligion comes up, the next verse says, uh, I think I scribbled it on. Paritranya Sudhuna um, um, uh, uh, says, in order to uh, deliver the pious and to destroy the wicked, I'm born yuge yuge in every age, right? And verse is not dharma, some stop, parayarata. Sadhunam, in order to protect the sadhus, meaning the good, pious people, not just monks, but uh, devotees, and to destroy the duskritam, the wicked people. Right? That's the meaning. That's Krishna saying. That's when I'm born. Right? So here, that, that must be. That must be. That's the the, the the cause must be that some version of that. Of course, this is Krishna speaking later about something about it. So it's directly for Krishna. But that's true of every avatar. Right, and so we 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 think through Ramakrishna also. If he's an avatar, he didn't. Which demons did he kill, and which which devotees did he save? Right. As far as we know, Sri Ramakrishna never. He didn't come holding weapons. Right. Krishna has has so many weapons. Rama comes with so many weapons. Narasimha, he has the perfect weapons in his in his. Uh, we know Narasimha killed Hiranyakashipu. Varaha killed um, Hiranyaksha. Right. Uh, uh, um, uh, Hayagriva killed Hayagriva. <laughs> a more mysterious thing, right? So, what did who? If if we're to slip Sri Ramakrishna meditation on Sri Ramakrishna, uh, what was the demons that he killed? Some uh, it said that he killed he killed uh, the greatest of all. There can be a t- there's tyrants even now. You can see he's watching the news. There's same things that are going on in ancient times that we would call demons that need to be killed. They're going on now, killing children, killing women, burning down things. These are the same type of tyrants since the beginning of time. Such demonic uh, tyrants have been going on, right? But the av- the avatar of the age did not come to kill them, right? But he, he came to kill a different type of demon. When he, it's the demon of of doubt, the demon of of uh, Swami Swami says that in this age, when people have lost faith in Dharma, they've lost faith in religion, they found faith in the Vedas and like that. A unique avatar came, and his power was to destroy the, the, the uh, materialistic thinking of the West that have entered specifically the, uh, the Holy Land. Right? Uh, and you can see by the... Uh, Swami Chaitananda says, and he must be quoting somebody, but when Swami Vivekananda was converted, the whole Western world was potentially converted because he represented all the, the, the full power of Western uh, cynicism and rationality. Right, uh, but when he accepted Sri Ramakrishna and accepted the transcendental realities of religion, he could present it in a way perfectly applicable to the modern age. You know, but anyway, so uh, uh, whenever 
So, Yanmaya Chetasam Pumsaha. Yanmaya Chesitam Pumsa. Stitya Utpatya Apyayahi. Anug anu uh, anugrahas tan nirvritir atma labhaya chesyate. Whatever manifest activities, here's maya, maya chesitam, chestitam, whatever activities in this world that he performs are for two reasons, can only be for two reasons. Because he's not, he has no ca- no karmic cause nor desire cause. This is two reasons. And that, I'm going to stop mid-sentence here and jump back to the opening chapters of the Bhagavatam when it's described that why there's two types of avatars. One is called Guna avatar and one is called Lila avatar. Where Guna avatar is, this is, uh, uh, the Gunas means Brahm, uh, uh, Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas. These are things that go to create the world, the manifestation of the world. And those avatars are Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva called Guna Avatar. The Lord takes, the infinite Lord takes on the forms, the shapes, functions uh, to, to, uh, of, of creation, sustenance, and destruction as Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, right? But there's another type, Lila Avatar, that he, in order to do some, uh, to do something. Here it means, usually, is given to save, he describes, to save Dharma and to uh, 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 help the devotees. So, whenever manifest activity performs are for the striti upatya apyayaya, for the sustenance, creation, and destruction, right? Either for those three purposes of the world, right? Or pumsa, for people to do what? Out of compassion, uh, anugraha, or just out of pure compassion. Why? Because people are. uh, atma la, uh, nivriti tat nivriti atma labhya labha labhaya tat nivriti nivriti means without uh, mean, nivriti means re- renounce right nivriti without vritti which another, that's a way of saying liberated right so beyond this world of duality right atma uh, um, labhaya means uh, labhaya lab means to attain so in order to help people. Either to create, sustain, and destroy, that is Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, the Guna Avatar, or as Lila Avatar, in order out of compassion to liberate people so they can attain, to detain the self. The purpose of the Avatar is to save people, to save people from the world of agitation, vritti, which means the world of birth and death, of repeated birth and death and desire, to bring everybody knowledge, of the, to bring people knowledge of the self. Cha ishate. That is perp- that has to be the meaning. That's the reason. So whenever manifest activities performs are for the sustenance, creation, destruction of the universe, or out of compassion to liberate people so they can attain the self. So in the story of Krishna, when there's a story which we'll get to probably, it may, it may, I, think, I think it was told earlier on the Bhavatam, it's one of the few stories told early, but also we'll definitely get to it. It said that the earth, Mother Earth, was groaning in pain. Right? Why was she groaning in pain? Because there was uh, um, too many warriors, too many selfish kings and their cruel armies. Well, warriors and armies are important, are required for a well-functioning society. 
but you can see what happens when it gets out of hand, when they run rampant, right? And it says that her it was due to the onslaught of too many warriors, she was suffering. And then she goes in the story, which we read eventually. She goes to Lord Brahma. Brahma says, "Oh, let us go to the milk ocean, right?" Uh, and they go into the milk ocean, and they and and she takes the form of a cow, as Bhu Devi, and she prays. They recite Purusha Shuktam, Narayana Shukta, like that, and they get Vishnu's attention. And, and he says, I look at what's happening. I have so many soldiers and kings and armies and just, they're just making, I cannot handle it anymore. It's too painful, right? And he says, okay, I shall be born, right? So according to that story, Krishna's born, why? To destroy war, destroy armies. And you see in Mahabharata, in the war, millions of people were killed. If we take the story literally and historically, Right, uh, you, uh, 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 within those huge armies, only a f handful of people survived. Right, huge. I mean, millions and millions. I forget the number. I'll have it by when we get to those sections. I'll look it up again. I forgot. It's been a long time uh, since I've read those sections. But it's many millions and millions of people. If you take the story historically, right, or even metaphorically, it's still the destruction of huge uh, um, armies. So here he's describing a little bit. This is what happened. You have to understand that's the reason why the primary reason, or there's many reasons. That's one of the reasons Krishna incarnated. Right here it says, powerful armies of and kings, patibhi asura nripa lanchanaha. This is interesting. These powerful armies and kings, right? But they're actually not kings. They have nripa. Nripa means the symbols. Symbols of royalty, right? Uh, Nipa means rulership, right? Governmental rulership, right? And lanchan, lanchana uh, means lanchana means um, uh, sim, uh, sign. So they're holding all the signs of being kings, but actually they are asura, they're demons. Now Krishna says in the Gita, asura is not necessarily somebody with horns, born from the underworld that comes up and hooks you and whispers in your ear to do bad things or whatever the the, the the there are such there are such demons too that's not what here here, here is the the asura qualities there's divine qualities and asura quality mentioned in the gita right and so these are the, the asura qualities so we can take it that there is the king that the, at that time the world was full of kings de, uh, kings with demonic qualities it was the signs of rulership without the qualities of rulership of a king Right, or we can also take this a little bit metaphorically and symbolically that we also have given uh, control to all kinds of potential energies and things within us, right, and voices and influences that aren't that look like they, they should be ruling, but they really shouldn't be ruling. So the external view of an ancient history, as well as an internal view of an internal battle, they they can both simultaneously be contemplated, and they influence each other and inform each other. Right, powerful armies and kings who are actually demons, with the symbols of kings, right, were enthusiastic, were, were enthusiastically attacked in order to free the earth. This is one of his things. Then the next verse, Karm, um, uh, 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 O Bhagavan Madhusudana. Madhusudana means the killer of the demon Madhu. Right, so it's important. That, it's again, it's the saying he's he comes to kill demons. One of the one of the purposes of Krishna's incarnations, Bhagavan Madhusudana performed activities. Hmm, I think I left something. I left something important out. Um, inconceivable even to the mind of the lords amongst gods. Manasapi uh, Sura Ishwaraha. 
It means the, 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 even the devas, the great gods, their lords. Here it most likely means Shiva, Brahma, Indra, and the pantheon, ancient idea of the pantheon, that even they, what Krishna did, they couldn't even conceive. His activities are inconceivable. Right? The line I forgot is Saha Shankarshana. It means with Shankarshan, which means Balaram. We'll go into that. So along with his brother Balaram, he performed activities inconceivable even to the gods and the lords among the gods. Right? Why? Right? So it's not only to destroy, to, out of, uh, to fulfill the desire of Mother Earth to free her from the too many warriors and demonic kings. Right? But really, here it is. This is, this is, it shows it's an internal battle. Kalo. Kalo janisya mananam. Janisya mananam means those who will be born when Kalo in the dark age. Kali Yuga. Right? Krishna came at the very end of the previous age. It says was his death, Kali Yuga officially started. Although much got absorbed by his divine presence, right? At the end of Kali Yuga, so he says the real reason he destroyed all these armies, right? But he did inconceivable things. But really, because there's souls later who will be born in Kali Yuga. That's us, right? He says, in order to, uh, just, Nudham. Nudham means in order to destroy what? Dukkha, Shoka, Tamaha. Dukkha means sorrow and suffering. Shoka means lamentation. And Tamaha means darkness or ignorance. In order to destroy the sorrow, lamentation and darkness of the people who are born like us, the souls who will be born in Kali Yuga, in this age. He expanded his glories. Here the word is Yasyaha. Yasyaha means um, fame. But here means he refers to the stories. Because here we are, whatever Krishna may or may not have done 5,000 years ago, Right, we, that that doesn't apply to us. Those those kings have been killed a long time ago. If they were killed, right, and if they're internal things, those were those were also destroyed in the minds of the yogis who composed this many years ago. What about us, right? By thinking of these incredible actions, by thinking of the lilies of Krishna, right, his. Uh, uh, um, so, in in order to destroy the suffering, lamentation, and darkness of those who take birth in Kali Yuga. He expanded his fame, his glory, his, his stories, right? Why? It says, uh, 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 once again, anugraha. Anugra, anugrahaya means out of just out of mercy. Out of mercy for whom? Bhaktanam, for the devotees, right? Su punyam yanatot yasyaha. In order to bring full benefit, su punyaha, all merit, all beauty, all. Um, what did I say? Uh, uh, benef- benefits. Uh, best, best thing. To bring, to bring great benefit to the devotees. In order to destroy the suffering, lamentation, and darkness of those who will take birth in the Kali age, he expanded his glories to bring great benefit to the devotees. Then it gets a little poetic uh, or symbolic. So, a t- tirta means a holy place. Tirta means holy water also. right? And so here, tirta means the Ganga. Right, and what you do, you do anjali. You take anjali means in your uh, in your palms. This is anjali mudra, right? You take water and you pour. This is the way you make an offering of water, anjali, right? So he says you take these these stories, which are going to be in the next 
two uh, many thousand verses on Krishna Lila and Rasa Lila and all these beautiful things, right? These are to be like like water of the Ganga, right? And they're to be poured into our ear, right? Very poetically described, right? We should pour this this holy water like the Ganga, and the Ganga, as soon as you touch it, you become pure, right? So by touching, having this water poured into our ear, we become pure and liberated. And this is the idea why we're meant to meditate upon this. It's a little hard to uh, word for word, but I'll just read the translation I did. Simply by touching with the purified ears a handful of holy water in the form of the Lord's leelas. What happens? Danute. Danute. Dhunute. Karma vasanam. Karma vasanam. Karma means our karmas. I'm sorry, no. Yeah, karma and vasana. Vasana means, you know, vasana, but here it means desire. So our karma, remember what's the cause? We says that Krishna is not born by, by, by karma or by desire, right? He's born by th- But we're born by karma and desire, right? But by hearing, by pouring this holy water into our ears, our karma and desire, our kar- karma vasana, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, dunute, is destroyed, right? Simply by touching with the purified ears a handful of holy water in the form of the Lord's leelas, lust and desire are immediately destroyed, instantly destroyed. Let's see. So this is actually very, as we now begin to meditate upon the Lord's leelas, especially Krishna leela, we have to remember this is the essential Simply by remembering these things, all that uh, by orally, also the way it's it's very poetically done, but it's like orally drinking it, having these holy things poured into our the the way we're drinking this is not through our mouth, it's through our ears. We listen to it, we meditate upon it. Later, we 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 read that the 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 chapter on Rasulila, the final verse I read a few weeks ago, right? It says, if one even remembers, listen to, or speaks. The story of Krishna, Vishnu's uh, romantic inter uh, exchanges with the cowherd girls, right? One's lust is completely destroyed. Once again, all lust, all desire, all karma is complete, and one becomes attains liberation, right? So that's the purpose. So all these lila, ultimately, many teachings will be there, but just thinking about these beautiful lila of the Lord is is he not, he he he, he, des- he descends to destroy these demons and these kings and these armies. But he descends to pure to destroy lust and lust and karma, karma and desire, from our heart just by hearing about it. It's an amazing thing that you hear about what the what Krishna does. It happens. It's in the present tense. There's a mantra at the, in the tense uh, after, during the middle of the Rasalila section. It says uh, uh, um, uses it says vijayate. Um, it's been a while since I remember. It's been a long time since I translated this verse. But it mentions that it's happening now. Right, it's not like what happened then. It's happening. It's like Krishna is doing it now. Krishna is now killing the demons. Krishna is now dancing with the gopi. Krishna is now uh, teasing Mother Yashoda or Mother Devaki. Right, it's it's in the present tense. It's not something that happened. We can think about oh, how beautiful these ancient stories are, but we lament that we're not there. That was a long time ago, and we're not there anymore. Where is Krishna now? Of course, we know he comes again and again when the age is there, but. If we think about it, it happens now. We think about Krishna killing demons. Those each demon has been given by the saints. Their, rep- their symbolic potency is there. This demon represents lust. This demon represents confusion. This demon represents false guru. This represents this. Represents that. And 
by meditating upon these things are also we're also freed from these things if we meditate properly with deep concentration and meaning. So uh, the section I said, now could so we can we can pick up at the next week from the beginning of the uh, tenth skanda. He just in the last few verses he just gives a, a um, I'm not my own translation, uh, translation. He gives in a four or five sentences uh, the gist of Krishna Lila in a simple way. Uh, um, the Lord delighted the whole world, including the Bhojas, Vrishnis, Andakas, Mud, uh, Madhus, Surasenas, Dashahas, Kauravas, Sijayas, and Pandavas with that form of his, of which every limb was a piece of thrilling beauty, with his charming smile and looks and gracious speech, with his sportive actions which were cast in a heroic mold. Great was the annoyance among men and women against their eyelids, which by their winking were causing obstruction to the continuous drinking of the ambrosial of the ambrosial nectar of his face, beautified by his shining cheeks, by his ears resplendent with fish-marked earrings, by his charming and playful smile, by his blissful face, which thrilled one the more when looked at it. Revealing his real form at birth, but next assuming the form of a human infant, he departed to Vraja from his father's palace, fulfilled all the longings of the inhabitants of Vraja, destroyed numerous enemies, married many wives, had several sons in them, and performed many yajyas, in which he had to worship only himself in order to exemplify before others the Vedic way of life promulgated by himself. Relieving the earth burdens of the large body of Kauravas by creating interseen conflict among themselves and by causing destruction of their hosts by their very looks, conferring a victory upon Yudhisthira and revealing supreme truths to Uddhava, he accomplished the object of his incarnation and then resumed his transcendental state. Thus ends the ninth skanda of Srimad Bhavatam. Uh, uh, so next week we'll continue, we'll begin the tenth skanda and honoring Swami Sharadananda, one of the companions of the Avatar of this age. Jai Sri Krishna, Jai Sri Ramakrishna.